Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. How are we today? We're so glad you're here, and if you're with us on the live stream, we wish you were here. What a great day it is to be together. Hey, um, my name is Aaron Marshall. I'm a volunteer staff as a community shepherd here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and that means that I get to be a catalyst of discipleship. And discipleship is uh, when we get to explore our journey of becoming more fully devoted followers of Christ in relationships with other believers over time, as we seek to orient our life to be Christ-centered and take the teachings of the Bible and apply them to our everyday life. And we believe here at Fellowship Fayetteville that that happens best in the context of a small group, whether that's couples meeting in living rooms all over town or men's or women's Bible studies, uh, that's how we believe that happens best. And so we want to invite you to think about that as we kind of come out of this last 18 months of the pandemic, we're going to be relaunching and rebooting and resetting our small group and community groups and Bible studies in the next uh, five or six weeks. We're going to be doing that in some new and fresh ways. We're not just going to do the same thing we've always done, but with sort of a neighborhood focus in an organic way to better know and be known, to serve others and to serve our community in better ways. And so if you're not in a group or your group may have sort of faded out over the last year, uh, if you'd like to get engaged, see me in the community booth afterwards. Uh, you can talk to me, email, text, Michael, Margot, Garland, any one of us would love to help you find a great fit for you this fall to engage in community. Hey, if you're a young adult, I've got a date for you to put on your calendar. Uh, the next gathering specifically tailored for you, you can uh, hit this QR code with your phone if you'd like, uh, but put this date on your calendar. There'll be more details coming over the next couple of weeks, but August 17th at seven o'clock uh, is the next specific event just for you, and so I know you're gonna wanna be here for that. Uh, so put that date on your calendar and, and uh, listen for more information over the next couple of weeks. I am so excited to be able to share with you today about the um, progress that's been made on our community effort to, to serve the chronically unsheltered homeless in Fayetteville. Just four years ago, the land on which uh, you see these pictures were taken there were 140 people living in tents and under tarps and in makeshift shanties in the deep woods on 30 acres down on South 19th Street. And a small group of people, including my wife and I, decided that um, something new and different needed to be done to address that situation in our town. And so I can tell you this morning that the New Beginnings Transitional Micro Shelter Village has been built. And our, our hope and our goal, uh, if we can get through some city hurdles, is to be open before the end of this summer and to invite 20 uh, residents into this community to be a bridge from where they find themselves in unsheltered homeless conditions uh, to address their health needs and their mental health and addiction needs and and just their basic needs for survival and restore some dignity and uh, allow them to begin their journey as a bridge uh, to permanent housing one day. And so I'd like to invite you to join with us and to partner with us. Uh, right now we are furnishing and finishing uh, the, the residential units and the program building where the bathrooms and showers and, and uh, laundry and kitchen are. And so we wanna make that feel just as comfortable like home like where you and I live. And so you can help us with that. Uh, we're also raising funds for staff and programming uh, to bring the resources uh, near to this place where these folks will reside so that they can make progress on their journey uh, back to sustainable housing and health. And so if you'd like to know more about that, my email's up there on the screen, my phone number, you can text me. You can hit that QR code with your phone. It goes right to our website. You can find out more information. I would love to help uh, you partner with us to meet these folks' needs and make this, this huge impact on our community. 
Hey, would you pray with me as we turn our hearts and our minds towards worship this morning? Our Heavenly Father, you're a good, good Father. And as we focus our minds and our thoughts and our hearts this morning on you, we ask that you would be near to us and that you would meet with us in this room, in this place. And that our worship of you would be a sweet offering to your ears and in your sight. We love you. And we thank you for this opportunity to be together with your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, church. My name is Ryan. I'm a worship leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Um, man, we get a privilege each week to gather and to sing praises to the one true king. And so I wanna remind us of that this morning before we stand and we sing. And I'm reminded of that when I read Isaiah 43. And Isaiah says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's that same Savior that we worship this morning. And so in light of that, let's stand and let's sing praises to the King this morning. Sing, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, and whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be seen when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name.
thousand years and been forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. children of God and then as a body of believers, we want to make it a practice and a habit to confess our sins to the Lord, to repent of those sins. And so we want to make that um, a rhythm of our church. And so this morning, we're going to do just that. In just a second, I'm going to read a prayer of confession over us. And it's my hope that as I read it, that you actually pray this alongside me. Uh, And then we're going to take 60 seconds or so. We're just going to stay seated where we are. We're going to talk to God. We're going to confess our sins to the Father. And so, as I read this, pray this with me this morning. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone have not loved with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name through Christ our Lord. Church, for the next few seconds, 
ask God to reveal sin in your life that maybe you're unaware of, the sins that you know of. Repent of those sins. Ask God for forgiveness. We need his forgiveness. So let's do that. of our need for a savior that need that should weigh so heavily upon us let us also be reminded that we do in fact have that savior and we have a pardon through him and through him alone that assurance of pardon and so now let's rejoice as we get to read this I'm going to read this and then together we're going to say this last line that's on the next slide. And so Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Together, let's say this church. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. Praise God, it's forgiven. Those sins that you just asked forgiveness for, they're gone, they're forgiven. And so let's stand and let's continue to worship in joy. And as the offering plates are being passed this morning, we wanna teach you all a new song, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb is the name of this song. And I'm loving it right now. And so I hope as, uh, as we sing this and as you get familiar with the melody, you would sing along.
perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your identity in you, it's not the things that we do or the person um, that we try to make ourselves. God, it's in you and the works of your son Jesus that give us our identity, that give us our assurance of salvation, and so may that be the declaration that we make this morning, God, that we can rest in that assurance um, that it's by you being our father that we are your children. God, and that's good, good news. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. That's great to be together, fellowship. So glad to see y'all. My name's Michael. I serve on the community team alongside Aaron, who was up here earlier. And we have a lot of fun as we see people get connected to each other and connected to the Lord. Um, it's a great thing to be a part of. I'd also like to welcome those of you joining us on the live stream. Glad to have you along this morning. I'm excited as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews because today we're going to be talking about something that's very near and dear to my own heart, and that is the topic of fatherhood, being a dad. Uh, I was very close to my dad, and I'm a dad to four, I started to say kids. They're not really kids. They're now young adults. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time thinking about fatherhood and parenting and, and what it means to be a good dad. And even as I say that this morning, I realize that in a room this size and extending out there into the Facebook world where people are watching the service, there's a wide variety of experiences people have had with earthly fathers. And I know that even as I bring it up, some of you, it, it's painful to even think about your father some of you, your father was absent. For whatever reason, he was just not part of the scene. And then others of you, your father was there, but he wasn't a good father. He didn't love you and protect you the way God wanted him to. And so for those of you who thinking about your dad is painful, my heart goes out to you. It's, I don't take that lightly. And then across the rest of the room, there's a spectrum, right? Some had dads who were okay, and some had dads who were terrific. Some dads were good at it, tried harder at it than others. But all of us, whatever our experience with our earthly father was, we all have something in common. Because besides him, we all had our TV dad. Is your favorite TV dad up there? I tried to, to get one from through the decades, starting with Sheriff Taylor there and coming up through Phil Dumphy. Hopefully there's a dad up there that, that you kind of connected with. These TV dads, they gave us an idealized picture of fatherhood, didn't they? I mean, old Carl there, he'd get frustrated more with the neighbor than with his own kids. Or Tim, the tool man, he always needed Jill to come in and bail him out of whatever mess he created. But these dads, they all did their best, didn't they? And they all had two things in common. One, they all disciplined their kids. Every single one of them. Remember when Opie burned down the barn and got a whooping? Yeah, Andy disciplined him. And that was half the reason that Will needed 
Uncle Phil, he needed discipline. And some of the funniest scenes on Fresh Prince were when Uncle Phil would just get so angry and he would have these ridiculous punishments he would threaten Will and Carlton with. And those last two there, Red Foreman and Phil Dunphy, they're opposites when it comes to discipline, right? And yet they both did their best. They both did it in their own way. And that brings me to the second thing all these TV dads had in common. None of them were perfect. There's not a perfect dad up there. Not even Sheriff Taylor. The episode where he whipped Opie, turned out Opie didn't burn down that barn. And Uncle Phil, he never followed through on any of those punishments he threatened. And y'all know that. All those TV dads and all the dads in this room, including me, none of us are perfect. And so what we're gonna see as we continue on in Hebrews chapter 12 is that a loving father disciplines his children. And what the writer to the Hebrews is gonna show us is that even though we, as dads on earth, discipline our children and we do the best we can, we're imperfect. But as we all just sang together, we also have a father who's perfect in all of his ways. We're gonna see that our loving father disciplines us perfectly. And so I'm gonna invite y'all to turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm gonna invite you guys in the booth to turn on that back screen from me so I can stop turning around and making sure I got a slide up. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read through the rest, or not the rest, we're gonna read through the middle section of Hebrews chapter 12, and we're gonna take note of what the Bible says about the Lord's discipline. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I've really enjoyed this Hebrews teaching series uh, it has flown by for me. I don't know about y'all, this, we have Hebrews 12 today, Hebrews 13 next week, and then we're done with our study of Hebrews. And if you're new with us this morning and you're kind of jumping in here at the end, we're glad to have you. This is what we do week in and week out. We open God's word, we read it, we try our best to understand it, and then we ask the question, how can I apply this to my life? How could this change the way I'm living? And so I hope those of you who've been tracking along with us through this Hebrew study, I hope what you've seen in here as we've talked through the book and in your community groups as you've discussed it and even as you're in your own personal study as you've opened your Bible and read the daily readings and read the devotionals, I hope you've seen these two big themes over and over, the superiority of Christ and perseverance. Superiority of Christ, Jesus is greater That's what we've seen through the book. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the Old Testament priestly system. Something greater has come in the form of Jesus Christ, God's own son. And the application of the book flows out of that. Jesus is greater, so don't give up. Don't go back to whatever it was that you were doing before because ultimately, ultimately, nothing is gonna be better than following Jesus Last week, Garland kicked us off in chapter 12, and he talked to us about the race. The Hebrews author uses the metaphor of a race, and Garland told us from the text that to run this race, we have to have the right expectations and the right preparation, and then he told us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we press into this chapter, because these two teachings are gonna be tightly connected Because those guys in that picture, those runners, they didn't just wake up that morning and decide they were gonna compete at a world-class level. No, leading up to that moment was a life of discipline. And that's what the text is gonna point us to this morning. So let's look at it together. And I wanna encourage you as we read, I wanna ask you this morning to do what the Hebrew study book's gonna ask you to do this week, and that's this. Every time you see the word discipline or a synonym for discipline, Go ahead and circle it. Go ahead and underline it. Let's interact with the text. Your teaching team here, we would love for you to get in the habit of marking things in your Bible. I'm gonna have it in bold on the text, on the screen, and you can mark it in your Bible. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now in verse two, he said, 
fix your eyes. In other words, look at him. This week he says, consider him. Think about Jesus. Think about what he went through. Whenever you think this is just too hard, whenever you think to yourself, I don't think I can go on, the writer to the Hebrews says, stop and remember what Jesus went through for you. Think about the hostility he endured on your behalf. The author says, you haven't shed your blood. The implication being, but Jesus did. Not only did Jesus shed his blood, he went to the cross and died. So in our struggles, in what Garland last week referred to as the agony of life, we're not gonna quit because we're not going through anything that Jesus himself hasn't already endured. But beyond just the encouragement to continue on in the race, this week, the writer's gonna give us some insight into the question of why. Why does the Lord allow these things in our lives? And he's gonna continue on by asking a rhetorical question. Look with me at the next verse, verse five. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? It's as if he imagines the listener or the reader saying, why does God allow these things in our lives? And he answers that question with a question. Oh, did you forget? Did you forget what the Bible says about God treating you as sons? Now, ladies, he's not leaving you out. He's using the language of the book of Proverbs, which was written to a guy, to a king. But he's talking about our relationship as his children. This applies equally to sons and to daughters because it's about God being our father. And the writer wants us to understand that relational dynamic. And so he's gonna point us to Proverbs chapter three, verses 11 and 12. That would be a good thing to write in the margin of your Bible. If you've got your pen out next to this verse, write Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Here's what it says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary, weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see what he's doing? He's pointing them back to the Bible that's a question we should always ask. What does the Bible say about it? When my kids were little, they got sick of that question because I would always ask them, well, what does the Bible say about it? They got to the point that they would come to me and say, I wanna ask you something, and you're gonna say, what does the Bible say about it? And I don't know, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> the writer's saying, I think you forgot what the Bible says. It says when things are difficult, it's because the Lord is treating us as his children. He's disciplining us. That word that's translated disciplining, it's a really interesting word because the writer's doing what so many New Testament writers do. He's taking an Old Testament idea and a Greek concept, and he's combining them. So by pointing back to Proverbs, he's bringing in this Hebrew word for discipline that means punishment for the sake of instruction. So in the original that he's quoting from, in Proverbs, it has this idea of a, a chastisement, a rebuke, correcting a child in their error. But the Greek word that he's using carries with it more the idea of training or education. We might think of it as a skill we develop. So like when you say you have the discipline of listening well, that's a skill that you've developed that you can do. Here we are in Fayetteville, we're a college town, right? We're in the shadow of the University of Arkansas. When they talk about academic disciplines, that's what they're talking about. Not punishment, training. And so the writer to the Hebrews is combining those two ideas in this one word. And by the way, that word discipline, it has the same Latin root as the word disciple. These concepts are very closely related. And so right here, I just wanna stop for a second and be very clear about something. The word discipline, the idea of God, our Father, disciplining us, it never involves his wrath. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is not mad at you. God is not punishing you for your sins. When Jesus went to the cross, 
he took on God's wrath for you and for me. So God's wrath is not part of this equation. Let me be clear. That's the heart of the gospel. God is not mad at you. If you've accepted the free gift of salvation that God offers you through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, yes, God's at work in your life to discipline you, but he's not angry. He's a loving parent who disciplines you just as a loving parent on earth disciplines their child. And you know, not all discipline is related to punishment. Think about it in sports. If you've ever played basketball, what does the coach do to the player who's late for practice? What's he do? He runs. He makes him run. It's the standard punishment. You've got to know it's not okay to be late to practice, so you have to run. But then at the end of practice, what's the whole team going to do? Run. Because they did something wrong? Because they're being punished? No. It's discipline in the sense of training to get them in shape. So keep that in mind as we look at these verses. The Lord disciplines, underline it, and he chastises the one he receives. That's a key idea. He chastises the one he receives. When you see a kid acting up at Walmart, do you go over and discipline that kid? Not unless you're a crazy person, you don't. <laughs> you do what I do. You stand back and silently judge the parent who's not disciplining them. <laughs> when my kids were little, one of my kids had a buddy and his friend said what a lot of kids will say when they're mad at their parents. He said to his dad, I wish Michael was my dad. And my friend said, no, you don't. You only know friend Michael. You wouldn't last five minutes with dad, Michael. <laughs> Why did he say that? Because I didn't discipline that kid. We only discipline our own children. So y'all, if God's working in your life, it means you're his child. And this proverb has got some real wisdom for how we, as God's children, are to receive that discipline. He warns us against two common mistakes. The first one, he says, is don't regard it lightly. In other words, don't blow it off. Don't just press on in that hard circumstance in your life without ever pausing to ask, why is the Lord allowing this? What does the Lord want me to learn one writer that I was reading said this, if you refuse to consider the deep waters, your life will remain perpetually shallow. Think about that. I'm gonna read it again. If you refuse to consider the deep waters, your life will remain perpetually shallow. So if you feel stuck in your Christian life, if you feel like you're in a rut spiritually, Maybe, and I'm saying maybe, it's because you're not pausing to consider what the Lord is wanting you to learn in your circumstance. The other warning in the text is to not be weary. So this is the opposite of taking it lightly. Some of you aren't the type that you would ever take it lightly, but maybe you're the type who lets it dominate you to the point that you're paralyzed, if the circumstances of your life cause you to just lay down on the track and say, I can't go on, that's not God's plan. See, the Bible's clear that God will always provide what we need. And he'll provide it through his word, the Bible, through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and through his people, the church. So if you're tempted to think these circumstances are just too much, I just can't go on, Remember what Jesus said. The last thing he said before he ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, he said, I'll be with you always. So don't blow off God's discipline and don't be paralyzed by God's discipline, but instead submit to it, lean into it, because that's when we can truly live. Because look at the end of the statement. He disciplines the one he loves. We need to remember, no matter what our circumstances are, God loves us. 
And here's where the preacher is going to draw his comparison to earthly fathers. Look with me at verse 7. It is for, underline it, discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We would never look at an earthly father who never disciplines his son and say, oh, he really loves that child. No, we expect a father to discipline. And every parent in here knows it's hard. It's easier to not discipline them. It's easier to just look the other way, but we don't do that. Why? Because we love them. Aren't you glad that you had someone in your life a parent, a teacher, a coach, a grandparent, someone who disciplined you? Someone who rebuked you when you tried to run out in the street? Someone held you accountable when you told a lie? Someone who was there when you, as my grandma would say, just got too big for your britches? That's how we learn, through loving discipline. The writer says here, you know, if God didn't discipline us, we wouldn't really be children of the king. He continues on. Look at verse 9. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Yes, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. He's making a lesser to greater argument here. He's saying, hey, if we respect those who discipline us on earth, how much more then should we respect God who disciplines us? Because God's goal is so much bigger than the goal of our parents with our early earthly discipline. Look at the passage. His goal is for our good that we may share in his holiness. God's goal in disciplining his children is to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to show us how we can share in some small, broken way in his holiness. God actually wants you to be free from that sin that continues to trip you up. He wants to help us become what every follower of Jesus wants to become, and that's more like Christ. But he acknowledges nobody likes it in the moment. We've all gotten mad at a parent or a teacher or a coach who was disciplining us no kid has ever in the history of the world said, you know, being grounded's tough, but it's gonna make me a better person. None of us have ever been on the side of the road and thought to ourselves, I'm not happy about this traffic ticket, but it's probably gonna make me a safer driver. Those of you who played sports, at the end of practice, did you ever think, man, running these gassers is hard, but it's gonna help me finish strong in the fourth quarter. No, none of us ever think those things because it's only with hindsight it's only later that we realize the discipline that we endured was for our good. And in this case, the writer says what it's gonna yield is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you're walking in victory over that sin that tripped you up for years, when you're experiencing the sweetness of a closer relationship with God, that's gonna make the discipline that you endured worth it. And so, yes, a loving father disciplines his children. It's part of the job description. And none of us, fathers or mothers, none of us enjoys being a disciplinarian. But we do it because we love our kids. And none of us dads are perfect at it. Sometimes we're too harsh. Sometimes we're too lenient. Sometimes we just blow it but God never messes up. His perfection extends to his discipline. He's our perfect father. So we have a loving father who disciplines us perfectly. He always knows what we need. 
And he loves it enough to give it to us. And even though we may not like it, it's always for our good. So, why does God discipline us? When we experience difficulty in our life, is it always because we've done something wrong? No. I think there are three broad categories of the Lord's discipline. The first is corrective discipline. This is the one that we've brought on ourselves through our actions. And this is where considering what God wants us to learn is so important. So if you have circumstances in your life that are painful, before the Lord, you need to ask, is this a result of something I've been doing that doesn't please the Lord? That's his corrective discipline. And then sometimes I think God gives us preventative discipline. Y'all might remember the Apostle Paul, the great missionary apostle. He walked with the Lord. He, he talked directly. He had an encounter with the living Jesus. But Paul had something he called a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what it was, but we do know that Paul begged God to take it away from him. And God didn't. And it was only later that Paul realized that the Lord allowed him to have that, what we think was probably a physical ailment, to keep him from becoming arrogant. God was using discipline in his life to prevent him from getting into some kind of trouble. I think he does the same thing with us. I would compare it to a parent, a mom holding her child's hand in the parking lot. The child doesn't like it, doesn't want it. The child wants to go where they want to go, but the mom says no. Hold my hand. Is the child in trouble? No. Has the child done something wrong? No. The mom wants to prevent the child from doing something that could have catastrophic results. And I think sometimes the Lord brings discipline in our lives to prevent us from getting into something or getting hurt. And then there's what I'm calling formative discipline. You know, the best parents and teachers and coaches, they don't take it easy on the best player, the best student. They push them because they know their potential. And so sometimes the Lord wants to take something in you that's good and make it great. He isn't correcting something you're doing wrong. He's actually teaching you something that you can't learn any other way. You know, I've shared in here a few times that before I was in full-time ministry, I was a business owner, I was a pharmacist, I owned some drugstores. And there was a season in my life when I had a store that was doing really good and a store that was doing really bad. So bad that it was threatening to take down my good store. And you can imagine, that's a hard time. I'm losing money, I'm having to lay people off, I'm having to make hard decisions, I'm frustrated. And so I was talking to my friend and financial advisor, spiritual mentor, Dan Pryor. And I said, Dan, what did I do wrong here? Did I pray wrong? Did I make bad business decisions? Is the Lord punishing me for something? And Dan said, well, did you ask the Lord? And I was like, well, that's a good idea. So I started asking the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this hard thing that I'm going through? And the Lord began to reveal things to me. The Lord started to reveal to me that I had more materialism in my heart than I wanted to admit. He started to show me that I was finding a lot of my identity in my business success rather than in him. But the biggest thing God showed me through that experience was rather than asking God, God, what do you want me to do? I was telling God what I wanted to do and asking him to bless it. And so the next time I saw Dan, I said, here are the things I learned. I shared those things with him. Dan said, you know what? If you learned those things through this, it's all been worth it. And then he said, next time, learn faster. This is really expensive. <laughs> Whatever discipline the Lord's applying in your life, corrective, preventative, formative, I think I was experiencing all three at once. The aim is the same. I love what Bible scholar Kent Hughes said about this. He said, all the disciplines of the Heavenly Father have one grand aim, which is nothing less than to make his people like him. Holy, holy. You wanna be closer to God? You wanna be more like Christ? You wanna experience God in a new and powerful way? God's discipline is the way that he accomplishes all of that. 
And so just like parents want to raise a child who makes good decisions and is considerate of others and is a productive member of society, the Lord wants to mature us spiritually into someone who looks a lot, like our, a lot less like our old sinful self and a lot more like his son Jesus, and he's gonna do that through discipline. And so we're not gonna enjoy it while it's happening. We may not even sometimes realize it while we're experiencing it, but when we look back, we're gonna realize God was doing something. And I love how the New Living, translate, the New Living Text translates that last verse in our section, verse 11. It says, afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Just like that athlete's gonna look back and say, the difficult discipline of training was worth it to be able to perform at my best when the competition came. We as believers will look back and say, this experience of walking with the Lord, of living for him, it was worth those difficult days of spiritual training. So remember the big idea of the book. Jesus is greater, so don't give up. When those hard things come in our lives, we're not gonna throw up our hands and say, I can't go on, it's all meaningless. Instead, we'll say, I have a father in heaven who loves me. He proved that once and for all when he sent his only son to the cross to die in my place. And now, he loves me enough to change me through his discipline. And that end goal, that peaceful harvest of right living, it's gonna be worth it. So I'm not gonna blow it off and I'm not gonna lay down and quit. I'm gonna consider Jesus, and I'm gonna consider everything he's already done for me, and I'm gonna trust my Father who loves me perfectly, with perfect love, to always do what's best for me. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to discipline us, even when we don't want it. Lord, even when there's things in our lives that we would say, Lord, take this away from me. You know what we need, and so you continue to give it to us. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being our loving Father. Lord, thank you that everything you allow in our life is for a purpose. Help us to remember that when we get frustrated, when we get down, when we think we want to quit. You're worth it. And so, Lord, as we respond to you in praise, I just pray that you would plant this message from this text deep in our hearts. And Lord, whether we're in hard times now or those hard times are still in our future, we know we're all gonna have them. And so Lord, in those moments, I pray that we would look to you, fix our eyes on you, consider you, and know that you love us and you're with us. Man, praise God for his discipline. Praise him for his mercy on us. Let's stand together, let's sing this song to close us out this morning. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morning. Our sins, they are many, His mercy
Church, so thankful that you came and worshiped with us this morning. We've got a prayer room through the doors on your right um, if you wanna take communion or pray with others there. And as we're leaving this morning, I wanna read this benediction over us. It says, may you, people of God, know that God our Father made you and guides your every step. Jesus Christ gave you his life, gave his life for you and brings you new life. The Spirit keeps you in the Lord's presence and empowers you to serve. May Almighty God continue to bless you and move you to give thanks. Have a great week of worship, everybody. We'll see you next week.